Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. So many of you are probably starting to get that kind of apprehension as you see back to school sales and back to school activities. And, you know, for a lot of you, you're not going back to school maybe until September, but just that realization that that thing that we call school is going to happen again. And maybe your child's had a lot of difficulty going to school in the past and you just maybe you've enjoyed the break are starting to brace yourself for another school year. I get it because I am as well. And I'm in Arizona and they start school super early, like Wednesday. <laughs> so this ship has sailed practically for me. It's about to, to set sail. But for a lot of you, you have some time still. So I thought about, well, I am doing an episode today on getting ahead of school refusal before school starts, because I think a lot of times we wait for the other shoe to drop and we're not proactive. And this could be for a lot of reasons. It can be because we don't want to think about it or deal with it. We want to hope for the best, not prepare for the worst. Lots of different reasons, but I'm going to talk to you about why it's important to start preparing and how that actually can help maybe you dodge a bullet. So before I get started, I do want to say thank you to NoCD who's sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And they take a lot of major insurances. And I just heard that they have now included Aetna to their network. So if you've tried NoCD before and you have Aetna and you didn't think they'd take your insurance, definitely call them back because they might now because they are contracting with Aetna. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Okay, so going back to what I was talking about, some of you may not have dealt with some school, I'm calling it school refusal, but really it's school anxiety, but I didn't want to call it school anxiety because it's not always related to school. They're not anxious about school. It can be so many different reasons why kids have a hard time going to school with an anxiety or OCD diagnosis. I will touch on some of those just to open up your eyes if you haven't really thought about why your child's having a hard time going. A lot of you already know. So it's, you know, it winds up becoming a school refusal situation because they're not able or willing to go to school. And so that's where you get the school refusal. And that's why I wanted to call this getting ahead of school refusal instead of getting ahead of school anxiety, because a lot of us know that our kids aren't really anxious about school per se. Some of them are. All right, so let's dive right into this. The first thing I want to mention is a lot of times parents will say, I can't work on their school issues when school's not happening. And I would say for a lot of our kids, that's not necessarily true. You're not going to be able to maybe provoke or trigger or work with the exact situation that's causing your child some struggles, but you have to get creative. And I, I wanna, I'm going to go talking about, I'm going to go talking about, that sounds really weird. I'm going to talk about some of the different themes and the ways that you can work on it in the summer. Even if it's social skills or social anxiety, you can have your child be put in social situations that mimic or trigger similar issues so that they're working on it. So the first thing I want to mention is not waiting until school starts to work on their issues. Summer is a great opportunity to work on their themes and their struggles. And if it's school-based and they're fine when they're not in school, think about what it is that triggers them in school and think about how you can mirror that or mimic that environment or situation to build their skills. It may not be perfect. So let me give you some situ- let me give you some examples. If you have a child who has a difficulty separating from you, well, they can separate in all sorts of different ways in the summer. And you might have to orchestrate that. And if it's too late to sign them up for things, or you felt like, oh, that's just, you know, too much of a struggle, then small separations. The thing is, you don't want to wait to pull the band aid off 
when school starts. Because school in general is really hard. The first day of school for most kids is anxiety producing. That's normal. That's typical. And then when you add on anxiety and OCD and those other struggles, that anxiety or that anxious feeling that most of us have when we're starting school gets revved up really high. And we want to do some preparatory work and not have that our heads, you know, in the sand, even though it feels really nice and warm and dark and comfortable in the sand, because then they're not having any practice before they start school. Now, this will look different for each one of you. And so it's going to be hard to speak directly to you, but I will probably speak to some of you. Some common anxiety issues or OCD issues related to school. And these are the highlights, but it literally can be anything. You can have separation anxiety. Clinical separation anxiety actually starts more typically in the tween years. So, you know, 10 to 12 onset for clinical separation anxiety, not your two year old issues. And so sometimes that is confusing for parents where they're like, what is going on? All of a sudden, you're afraid to separate. I'm starting to actually see that with my daughter, who's 10, never had any separation issues. And that's becoming more of an issue in the last six to eight months, which is really surprising because that's not her personality. But when I think about my, the way that I speak to other parents and I say clinical onset 10 to 12, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my child. So bizarre because that's never been our theme. So separation anxiety can be one of them. Emetophobia, the fear of throw up is very, very common in relation to school anxiety and school refusal because it's like you can't throw up at school. A lot of times it's tied into separation anxiety. I'm just going to go over the highlights because I don't want this whole episode to be about the origins of school refusal, but I do want to give you a flavor of some of the things. You can also have social anxiety. That's a big one, right? And so I'm afraid of being in front of my peers or I'm afraid of being in front of adults. Social anxiety, just like separation anxiety. So separation anxiety tends to be more of one or the other. You can have both, but it tends to be either I'm afraid that my mom is not okay if I'm not with her. I can't check out, make sure that she's safe. Or I'm afraid I'm not okay without my mom. And I feel like the way that that shows up and the dynamics are different depending on which fear that is. You can have kids who have both, but one is typically stronger than the other. With social anxiety, it's also similar where you have normally one or the other. And again, it can be both, but one is stronger, which is, you know, I feel anxious around adults. They intimidate me. They overwhelm me. I feel like I, you know, I have to be perfect around them or people pleaser or peers. I'm afraid I'm going to be embarrassed or going to look stupid, or I'm not good enough or cool enough. And normally one of those is stronger than the other. I'm telling you this because as we get through this in the podcast, these little nuances are really important. They're important because you're going to approach these struggles in a different way, depending on what that that narrative, that story, or that core fear is for your particular child. So when we say social anxiety, to me, that can look really different depending on the child and which area they're focusing on. We say separation anxiety, that can look really different. The way I'm going to reframe how they think about things, depending on whether they don't feel safe because they need to be next to their mom. And I'm saying mom because predominantly it is the mother, um, not fair to us. Or am I worried about her safety? That's a different dynamic. Okay. So let's see some other ones. Then you have the OCD category, and that can really be literally anything. It can just be the fear of being your OCD theme or discomfort or feeling being triggered in the school environment. And so this can be, you know, people are contaminated and so they're touching my stuff or there's a lot of germs at school or there's a lot of quote unquote bad people. I have moral OCD and I see people with piercings or, you know, colored hair, things like that, where they say a bad word or for the younger kids, they don't follow directions. And so I don't like to be around those people maybe because it might be contagious, you know, irrationally so, and I can catch it. So a lot of triggers for OCD in general. And a lot of kids who have anxiety have sensory issues too. And so there might just be a general overwhelm for the school environment. And I really feel like that is different. And I'm not going to really touch on that too much today because there are kids where the public school or, you know, this traditional school environment is just not conducive to the child. They are having sensory overload 
And really, it's just a matter of the noise and the stimulation and the the chaos and the pace. That's different. That's like not a right fit for a child. I'm going to talk more about kids who have anxiety and OCD struggles, and they would have that in any place. And so sometimes we think, you know, if I could just get them out of this environment, then they'll do better. And and a lot of times that is the case when we're dealing with a lot of sensory overload and stress and all the other things that can come with school. But for a lot of our kids, you take them out of school and you put them in any environment and they continue to have problems. And so when you have separation anxiety, when you have social anxiety, when you have emetophobia, the fear of throw up, when you have OCD and contamination and moral OCD, those things will follow you. So it doesn't matter. It just happens to be difficult to go into that environment, but it will still be difficult to go into a work environment. It'll be difficult to go into a college environment. It's difficult to go to a restaurant or camp or any other environment because it's it's not about the school per se. It's just about being triggered and they're going to be triggered anywhere. And so if we cocoon them too much, they won't develop those calluses that they need in order to handle the discomfort that life will bring, including having to do some things in an environment like work or school. Okay. So what do you do about all this? You know, this started brewing for us. So my daughter, Miss 10, has had school refusal. I don't even want to say the word refusal, but I use that just because people know what that means. But it's not like she refused. It's like she just couldn't go. That started early, like kindergarten, first grade. Maybe even preschool was a bit of a struggle. Not like crying on my leg, you know, I have to pull her off, but just you know, feeling like she's going to throw up and being on the toilet and, you know, having that complete panic and I can't do it. I can't do it. That kind of thing. And so that was second, first kindergarten, first, second grade. And she really got her beat. We got on medic. She got on medication. We I don't like when I speak in wheeze. <laughs> she's her own individual person and, and things have really progressed, but she didn't have any school issues last school year going, going to school. But at the very, very end, she started to have some problems. She got some intrusive thoughts and moral OCD thoughts that started to impact her ability to go to school because she was afraid she's going to bump into certain people that were triggering those thoughts. And so what we had to do is we had to do exposures where she had to think of those people on purpose. I pretended to be those people, you know, as we role played, but it has me nervous. And so we were traveling last week. We traveled almost the entire summer. The beauty of my job is that I can re- I could pre-record these and I can take my iPad and support the members of my AT parenting community literally anywhere in the world. And so the only thing that is anchoring me to Phoenix is my kids that I have kids and they actually go to school. <laughs> you know? So we traveled nonstop the whole summer and we will continue every break. We have things planned. My kids love that. It's been very therapeutic and helpful. But on our last trip, which we just got back from yesterday, my Miss Ten said, well, actually, like right in the middle of the trip, she said, I'm so nervous about school. And at that time, you know, I said back burner it. And the, you know, the approach that I have with my kids and the way that I helped kids in my practice, I think I actually have a YouTube video on this too. If you go to my YouTube channel, let me try this really quick. I just wanted to type in back burner on my YouTube channel and see what would pop up. Sometimes when you do that and it's not even in the title, it will pop up. So that's helpful. The YouTube video that I have that talks about this is how to stop what if worries from taking over your life. And so if you are interested in watching that, that's for kids and teens to watch. Go to my YouTube channel, go to YouTube, type in Natasha Daniels, and then go to my YouTube channel. And if you are on an iPad or desktop, you can go and you can search a channel and you can type in how to stop what if worries from taking over your life. And I talk about backburnering, which is not rocket science. Nothing I teach is rocket science, but it's just simplistic ways to handle anxiety and OCD. And with myself, I do this with myself too. And my kids and the people I've worked with in my practice, if it's something that's happening, it's not going to happen within a time frame that you need to worry about it. And that will be different for each kid. We talk about backburnering it, put it on the back burner, and I explain that in the YouTube video what a backburner is, because some kids don't even know what that is. But for instance, when I'm trying to think, you know, it was like June and I was focusing on a lot of other stuff in my work and we were traveling all around Europe in June. 
my anxiety, because I have an anxiety disorder, my anxiety wanted me to be really nervous about what was coming up in July, which was the OCD conference. And I was like, you have a lot of presentations and, oh my gosh, you're going to have to meet all those people and all the worries my social anxiety wanted to bother me about. And I kept saying to my anxiety, I hear you. Don't worry. I'll worry about it, but I'm backburnering it until June. It doesn't mean that it goes away or that I'm trying to like thought stop my issues. I just remind my anxiety that I am here. I am in the moment. I'm in Venice. (laughs) I recognize that you're trying to get me to think about this and I will think about it and I will schedule it mentally in my head. I'll say, okay, you're going to worry about it three days before the conference because I'm completely type A. I'm always prepared. (laughs) It was like completely done. All my supplies were done. Everything was done. It was just a matter of me worrying about it. And so I schedule it. I schedule my worry. I use that approach with my kids. I've used it in my practice. And so when we're on the cruise, I said to her, can you back burner it? Or how about you back burner it? That's not happening now. You are, we actually went to Honduras and went to Belize, but we weren't able to get off the boat because of the winds. But Honduras was gorgeous. We went scuba diving in this huge, uh, I guess they're their reefs are like the second largest in the world and crazy snorkeling in these beautiful underwater like cities <laughs> of fish. But, you know, anxiety and OCD came with us. It got packed in there. And so I talked about, we'll worry about that as soon as we get home, right? And I know that seems trite and maybe dismissive, but my kids understand what we're doing you know, you're acknowledging your anxiety, you're validating it. And then you're saying, but I am here in the moment. And so you're refocusing your attention to what you're doing. And you say, I will worry about it. And you schedule it. Typically for me, by the time that date is where I was going to worry about it, I don't, I'm not worried about it as much. That works for me. It may not work for everybody like that, but it does for me. But regardless, it's not going to ruin a moment that will not impact what's going to happen in the future, right? I can worry or I cannot worry. It doesn't matter. It's not going to impact whether that's going to turn out well or not. It's just going to ruin the moment I'm currently in. And even though we can't control our thoughts, we can control what we do with them. Do I want to do snowball thinking? Do I want to grow a snowball and turn it into an avalanche? Or do I want to enjoy these incredible reefs that I'm snorkeling in? I'd rather just enjoy what I'm in, but I can't help that anxiety or OCD is going to try to knock on my door. Same thing for the kids. But it did get me worried when she was when she was vocalizing some concern. All of a sudden, I can feel some sort of anxious growth in the bottom of the pit of my stomach start to brew and say, "Oh no, you know." There's been so many episodes of anxiety this summer, and it actually started over spring break that I thought it's gonna maybe it's gonna be hard to get her back to school. So. I had to put that in check and just say, it is what it is. And I didn't want to talk about it then. And I can see where it could be very tempting to not do it at all because you don't want to rock that boat. That boat is smooth sailing until the first day or the day before for a lot of our kids. You might have the thought or the approach that says, you know what? I'm not going to rock a boat that's not rocking because she's doing okay. And as long as I don't say anything, think we're going to be okay. And my message for you in this episode is shake that boat, rock it. It doesn't mean you torture your kids. It means that you address the issue head on and you say, you know, how are you feeling about going to school? And so with my daughter, we've been working on her OCD themes and her anxiety themes the entire summer. And so don't take the summer off. And I will use those experiences when I'm trying to help her, I will say, remember when you had a hard time getting on the plane, but you were able to do it. Or you remember when you had a hard time going to band camp, but you did it. And so she had one situation with sleepaway camp where she wasn't able to do it. But I remind her, look at all the wins that you did. At the OCD conference, you sat you know, in front of a whole audience of people and talked really casually. We were on buses you know, where you had to handle not being able to access a bathroom. She has a lot of different themes right now, so I can give her a lot of different examples, but none of her themes are truly related to school. School is such a trigger. She doesn't like change. She doesn't like transition. She's vocalized. You know, she's worried about, she only knows two out of the three of her teachers. And so a lot of the things are just the things that we deal with all the time in different types of environment. 
And that might be true for you too. So try to generalize it. Try to move away from the school environment and look at the bigger picture. What is it about the school situation that's causing the problem? And then don't assume that you know, because a lot of times it changes and shifts. And so the first thing is, which we already talked about, is practicing at home, whatever it is, get creative. You can practice almost anything if you're creative enough in the real world that can mimic situations that happen in school, even perfectionism. Like maybe I don't like my handwriting. I can practice that. I can have you write your handwriting imperfectly. We can take quizzes at home. I can time you. I've done that in my therapy practice where I've had kids who have test anxiety and I would give them a test and I would time them. And if that wasn't stressful because they knew it wasn't real, I would add a fictitious level of stress by saying, if you can beat this particular time, you can earn this prize. Or if you get this amount correct, you can earn this prize. Now, after the exposure, they earn the prize anyway for trying and, you know, sitting in discomfort, but that adds almost a false sense of stress and anxiety that, that quasi mimics what they might experience at school. And so even when it's test anxiety, there are creative ways that you can practice. You have to get your child on board though. You don't just do this to your child. You talk to them and you get them on board with trying these things so that you can reduce their anxiety before they go to school. Now, once you do, once you practice all that, the second thing is talking to your child and starting to prepare them. So even just talking about school for me is preparing them. We have meet the teacher night tonight. I always pick episodes that are related to me because I feel like you'll get more heart in it. Once I'm like 60 or 70 and I don't have kids and my grandkids have no anxiety and OCD because that's going to (laughs) happen, then I'll have a harder time coming up with ideas and I'll have to really tap my AT parenting community. But right now, all I have to do is open my bedroom door and there are all the topics just waiting for me to talk about. (laughs) Because if I'm struggling with it, I know you, many of you are as well. So with my daughter, I said to her yesterday, now for her, now your child might be different. I only like to start preparing her for these things two days in advance because the minute you start talking about it, I know her anxiety and her stress is going to start to build momentum and she needs to prepare many kids with anxiety and OCD. I would have to actually argue most, if not all kids with anxiety and OCD. I don't say all because there's always that outlier who really does better without knowing anything, but it is helpful for the majority of kids with anxiety and OCD to prepare. The more they prepare, the more they problem solve, the more they feel like they have a lot of knowledge, the better they do. And the same way, I've talked about this a lot in past episodes. When I travel, it's ridiculous how much I know to the point where, I'm trying to think, where was I? Where I knew exactly how much they were going to charge us for something. Oh, I know where we were. We were in this really cool cave. It's called, I think, Secret of River. It's off of Cozumel, Mexico, and it's this underwater cave that you can go in and walk around, and it's like this blue water in a beautiful cave. It's It was just amazing, but I am like one of those people who I read like the small print of everything. Like It's almost a hobby now because we travel so much. Like I love reading like reviews and the behind the scenes of everything, so I already knew that we were not going to be allowed to bring our cameras in there and that afterwards there was going to be an upsell because they like a photographer actually goes in there with you and they were going to charge me a hundred dollars for or twenty five dollars for one picture or a hundred dollars for a few of them you know and so when it happened I didn't get upset and you know we had a bunch of people who were upset by it or whatever and I was like yeah I kind of already expected that and budgeted I like knew that was going to happen why because I'm an anxious person and I read literally everything when we went to Alaska I knew that like the little tractor thing that was going to take us up to the mountains to watch the Northern Lights, which we didn't fully get to see because they apparently like that's actually really hard to actually time perfectly. But I knew that that little tractor thing was like a military transportation thing. I knew it was going to make me sick because I had read reviews that people were throwing up all over because, you know, there's no windows in it. So I like took travel me beforehand. My whole point is not that you need to know all about my travels, but I'm a preparer. And why? because I have an anxiety disorder and it makes me feel better. Our kids are no different. The more they know, the less mysterious it will be, the easier it will be for them. 
even for the kids where that's maybe not their main theme, you know, if they have social anxiety or, you know, emetophobia, that may not be their main thing. But just knowing what to expect takes a little bit of the pressure off. So find all the information you can. And don't assume that you know what your child's upset with. So I said to my daughter, I think I even just assumed something. And I said something about her anxiety or OCD. And she said, I'm not worried about that, mom. She said, I'm worried because I don't know, you know, I know two of my teacher, but I don't know my third teacher. And I think that's the tip of the iceberg, but I left it at that. So you want to pace yourself. I didn't want to overwhelm her because she's very, very sensitive right now. But find out some of the things that they're afraid of. I know in the past that the things that she's been afraid of, and I know the things that she's been afraid of all summer. And so I don't want to assume that that's going to be the problem. So we will go to the parent-teacher night tonight, and then I will process more with her. So I'm very intentional with when I'm going to talk to her about certain things so that I'm not overwhelming her with too much processing and too much talk about it. You know, it's like baby steps. They go to school on Wednesday, and so we'll talk about it tonight. We'll definitely talk about it tomorrow, and then we'll see how Wednesday goes. Fingers crossed for me, right? This episode will come out the following Tuesday, and so it's already happened. So hopefully future Natasha is like feeling pretty good about how things are going to go. But you never know, and it's not your fault, right? We don't really get to control how our kids are going to react to these things. All we get to do is try to build them up and give them enough skills that they can manage it. And if they don't, then we just have to navigate through that. So some of the other things to do, you know, that you may not think about is really show them everything. So I got an email from the teacher today. It said, this is a schedule for next week, just to give you a flavor of how our schedule is going to go. It also mentioned that one of her teachers is sick. And so, you know, that's going to impact the way she looks. And so those are things that you may not think to mention to a 10-year-old going into fifth grade because you're like, I mean, she's not in kindergarten, but all those details I share with her because anything new can throw her off. So I, you know, hey, your teacher's, you know, going to look a little different. She's not feeling well. And here is a sample of your schedule. Let's go through it so I can show you. And if you have a child who's like, I don't want to talk about school. It makes me too anxious. I don't want to talk about it. Then you kind of want to take a step back and say, if we don't talk about it now, it's going to be, how, how do you think it will feel on the first day of school when you haven't really thought about this at all and you've tried to pretend like it's not happening? Do you think they'll make you feel more anxious? You know, Or if you start to dab your feet in the water and you start to think about it and talk about it, that that will actually help get you used to it before school. When our kids are resistant, it doesn't mean that we then double down and try harder and push harder. It means that we address the resistance in a compassionate way. You know, I then it to me, I go into selling, <laughs> anxiety and OCD selling, where why is this important to work on or why is this important to talk about instead of we will talk about it because Natasha says we should, <laughs> or the therapist says we should, or I feel like we should. You want to then instead pause, respect your child's vocalization that they don't want to talk about it. And then just move into why it can be helpful to talk about it. Then you can negotiate. Well, okay, we don't have to talk about it today. But can we talk about it tomorrow? Okay, we don't have to talk about it for an hour. Can we talk about it for 10 minutes? You know, we want our kids to feel heard and validated and not forced because then they're going to learn how to just, you know, stuff all their feelings and not express it to anybody. And we don't want our kids to have a poker face and, you know, be drowning inside. That's not helpful. So, once you know what is going on, and, and, and you know, you've heard me probably before, if you've listened to me, you know, I'll ask those basic questions of, you know, what's the scariest part of going to school? Or in my house, I might say, what is, what's O'Cloud saying about school? Or what do you think you're the most nervous about? The way that I'm framing it, and if you've listened to my episodes in the past, you've heard this before, but there is a difference, even though it's semantics and it seems really minor, there is a difference between saying, what are you afraid of? Or why is school scary? Versus what's the scariest part? The scariest is maybe not the right word for your child. So know your child, because sometimes when we're asking what makes you fearful or anxious or scared, those are words either that one, don't resonate with them because they're not really, they don't feel like they're scared or anxious. They might feel uncomfortable. And so that 
those words may not resonate or they may not want to identify with those feelings. And so when you say scared or anxious, they may perceive that as a weakness or you're going to dive into all of my therapy approaches. I don't want to talk about that. Just know your child because sometimes just tweaking the way you speak can make a big difference. So you might say, what's the hardest part about going to school for you? And I always start with validating. I know school is hard, you know, and if you've had your own history, sprinkle it in there. Don't go on a tangent. I can't tell you how many times in my therapy sessions, a parent would try to relate and they would kind of take up half the session with their story. And it was like, it was great that they were relating and then, but then they went too far. So you want to just normalize it, validating it. And then you might say something like, I know school can be hard. First days are rough. You know, I remember they were really rough for me too. That's the end of that story. It doesn't mean that you can't talk to your child about your own struggles separate from that. But when you're focusing on your child, make it about your child. But it is good to personalize and get them to, to, to know that they're not alone. It's normal to be anxious about going to school. Don't use the word anxious if that upsets them. And then say, you know, what's the hardest part for you? And don't go on about, well, the hardest part for me was blah, 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 blah. Now we're into a deep story about you. But stay focused. What's the hardest part about it? Watch the throwaway answers. I call them throwaway answers because when kids don't want to talk about it, they might say, because it's stupid. You know, and you're like, I get it. And, and you don't have to stop the conversation there. Those are just throwaway answers for a lot of kids. And so, yeah, I get that it can be stupid, right? You don't want to be pushing back on any of this. But what is the hardest part? And, or they might say, it's boring. It's so dumb. I get that it's boring and dumb. I totally see that. What's the hardest part, though? So you want to probe a little bit. If you keep getting a roadblock, you know, pretty firmly, then you back off. Wait for those waters to cool. Come around a different time. But you do want to get to the core issue. And then once you get to the core issue, you want to start problem solving and addressing that. And so, for instance, my daughter was saying, you know, I don't know the third teacher. Well, I was saying, well, hopefully we'll find out who that is tonight, you know, and most of the time teachers are really nice. And I went over the other two. Oh, it's so good that you know those two because your brother had them too. He really liked them. You want to be careful not to be a cheerleader because sometimes if we're too Mary Poppins with our kids, it can get annoying and they might, then it becomes kind of a yin yang. Like we're like, we're like, yay. And they're like, no, we don't want that dynamic either. So somewhat neutral, but it's good to just highlight like, you know, your brother did well. He really liked those teachers too. So, but now that I know that that's an issue, I'll be sure to circle back after we meet the teachers to hopefully say, oh, we met her. What do you think? And just tap into that again. It doesn't mean that it'll be resolved. She may not like the teacher or we may not meet the teacher or she may not have a good vibe about it. So it doesn't mean that things are always going to go perfectly, but I know where to focus. So when you know your child's struggles, there are some things that you can problem solve, some practical things. So I'm just trying to think of some examples. If it's a metaphobia and you've been working on it, then you highlight, you know, you've done so well and, you know, you went through all summer, you've been doing exposures, you've been looking at pictures. And I know it's really hard. What will happen if you start to feel anxious about throwing up at school? Sometimes we don't want to say that because we, we think naively, some of us do, that if we don't say that, maybe they haven't thought about it. If I don't mention you know, that you might become anxious because of this specific theme, you know, insert whatever your child's theme is, then maybe they haven't thought about it. Trust me, they have. (laughs) So don't, you know, walk on eggshells or skirt around issues, just come out and say it. What happens if you feel like, you know, you're having some separation anxiety while you're at school? Or what happens if you have a panic attack at school? Let's come up with a plan. You know, what happens if you're afraid you're going to throw up? Let's come up with a plan. What happens if you're having a hard time talking to your peers? What happens if you feel like someone's bullying you? Let's problem solve. Let's role play. A lot of it is teaching them how to handle difficult situations. When I've worked with kids with emetophobia, the fear of throw up, and with my own daughter, we had a plan. And and some of it was quasi accommodations, but it got them to school. And so it might be if you're feeling sick, this is with my daughter, if you're feeling sick, and this wasn't really great during COVID times, you can go to the nurse you know, and the nurse knows that she has anxiety and that her stomach hurts sometimes. And I already worked it out that, you know, she can lay down at the nurse's office and then she can go back to class. 
the 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 thing I want to avoid if at all possible is her coming home. And so if you need to involve the school counselor, go meet the school counselor ahead of time if you have one, if you're lucky to have one. We're lucky to have one a couple of days a week. And so if I need to reach out to the school counselor before school starts, that's something I'm going to do, right? So having some concrete plans can be helpful if you need a 504 and maybe the one thing that they don't want to do at school is they don't want to be called on or they don't want to be randomly called on, or maybe they don't want to do presentations in front of people. I, you know, I am of the belief that kids shouldn't have to be randomly called on. I hate when people did that to me. I mean, granted, I have social anxiety disorder, but I hated that when people just randomly call on me in class. It made the entire hour nerve wracking because I kept wondering, it's like a jump scare. Are they going to call on me? You know, and so I couldn't even focus. That's okay to have in your 504 plan that teachers can't call on you. That's not a con, in my opinion, that's not accommodating to the point where you're going to harm your child or, or make them not able to function in life. If it can get them to school and they can do better in school because they don't have to worry the whole time that you are going to call on them, then that, that's good. Presentations, I think, are the same thing. You can get a career where you don't have to present in front of people. I know that in America, we're always like, they have to learn how to speak in front of everybody. Do they? I don't know. (laughs) There are ways that they can still, they can record it and send it to their teacher, or they can do it privately in front of their teacher. I don't think they have to have an audience of uh, judgy peers staring at them. It's hard enough being a teenager, let alone, you know, having to present some awkward topic in front of them. So those are things that you might get a 504 plan on. And all of a sudden you take that stress around that particular topic and they're like, oh my gosh, that's all I was worried about. Now, most of the time it's not that simple, but when it is, it's a beautiful thing. I've worked with a lot of kids who had school refusal and I would just, you know, and it took a couple of sessions to find out specifically what it was. And for some of them, it would be, it was so specific. It would be like a particular period with a particular teacher or a particular person they were sitting next to. And for me, I'm okay with moving them around, asking a teacher to move them or moving a class if it means that they will not have school refusal. The ultimate goal is to get them to school. Then you can work on the small things. To me, it's an onion approach. It's like get them to school any way you can, even if that means excessively accommodating their anxiety or OCD. If it's that or school refusal and not being you know, able to go to school, I'd rather throw a bunch of maybe unhealthy accommodations at school and then slowly take them away. If they can go to school and I don't need to do that, then maybe I want to do some quote unquote healthy accommodations, which would be maybe they can bring fidgets to class or they can go to the nurse if they feel sick and then go back to class or they have a school counselor they can visit or you know they can call you. You have to be very, very careful with some of these accom- accommodations because it can be a slippery slope and you want to have set some limits on that. I've had to tell my daughter, you can only call once or, or don't put me on the phone. Like sometimes you have to set limits with the school directly, but those things that you put in place or that you, that are already in place and you remind your child, Hey, in your 504 plan, you have this in place. And so if you're having a hard time, this and this, and this can happen that can reduce their stress, just reminding them. So it will look different for each one of you. You can even talk about what the first day will look like. Sometimes separation anxiety or when it's relational, it can be better to have the other parent or a grandparent or an aunt or uncle take them the first day so that there's not this heightened separation of, you know, now I'm leaving my mom. That can help. Sometimes you can do something really fun and exciting in the morning to make it special, you know, go get something before school. And other times it's just going to be it's just going to be a storm, you know, and you're just going to have to get through it. At my house, buying donuts or doing anything special, it's just not going to make a difference. You know, she's going to feel nauseous and she's going to feel anxious. You know, she has medication that she gets as needed, an antihistamine, hydroxazine that we give her that she's had prescribed that take the edge off when she's anxious. So the minute she wakes up on the first day of school, she'll get that. And that tends to help calm her nerves a bit. And then um, for her, when she is in the thick of things and she is in fight or flight or freeze, 
it is better for her to distract herself. And so we will set everything up in the morning or I, you know, in the evening. So her outfit will be put out, her clothes. I make her lunch because the mornings have been stressful in the past. And then she started making her lunch, but for the first day of school, I'll make her lunch and her water bottle. And so all she has to do is wake up and kind of distract herself. And I know that distraction is kind of like a four letter word in anxiety and OCD. And so are accommodations, but there's gray in everything. When your child is in the middle of panic and they are just trying to get through, distraction is completely okay. You know, it's not like they have to sit in their pain and not put their mind on anything else. So she'll be on her iPad and she'll, she probably won't want want to eat anything, but it's just getting her there. And the things that I do behind the scenes will help maximize the chances of her going. So you want to ask yourself, have we worked on the themes that are related to what increases their anxiety about, or their discomfort about going to school? So you want to ask yourself that. And can I work on it? Do we have time? Are there things that I should maybe start doing? And even if they're anxious about school, you don't have to say this is school related. You can say, we're going to practice doing things imperfectly, or we're going to practice you going up and talking to a stranger. So I want you to, you know, go ask for a napkin or go ask what time they close. You don't have to say, we're going to practice doing these things so that you can get to school if that's overwhelming. So that's the first thing. Are we practicing the themes that we think are going to add? to possible school refusal. Two, do I know what would be causing their school refusal? And so I'm going to wait till maybe I get a little bit closer, or if they're already vocalizing it, that's your clue or your cue that you can ask them, right? If your child's already vocalizing, I'm so nervous about school, and it's like a month and a half out, then that's an invitation that you can talk about it because they're already thinking about it. So it's okay. And then once you know what those core issues are, and you're not assuming, because for me, I assume a lot and I'm always wrong (laughs) and I feel like I'm always right, but I'm not. So don't assume you're going to ask. And then the third step is problem solve. You know, what are some of the things that we can do? And problem solving doesn't always mean fix it. It doesn't mean like, okay, we're going to have gloves for you in the bathroom. So you don't ever have to touch a toilet and we're going to, you know, smooth everything out. Problem solving just means maybe it for the, the child with OCD, it might be reminding them that they're able to go to the bathroom in other public areas and it's just the same thing and we can practice more to make you more comfortable. It might be smoothing things out where we're saying you can go to the nurse or if PE is upsetting, you know, maybe we can talk to the school about that. It's okay to smooth some of those things out, but problem solving gives your child a plan. This is what happens. This is the plan that we have to help you with your anxiety or OCD. So they feel supported. And then the last thing is as much information as you possibly can. And so if the school's not giving you information, if they don't have a meet the teacher night, or if it's a new school and they need to tour it, they're not giving tours, you know, then you might want to call the school and go above and beyond. And any information they give you, pass it on to your child because the more information, the better. So wish I had a magic, some magic fairy dust and I can just, you know, send it to you. And then we can make sure that all our kids go to school without a struggle. But doing these hard things creates resilience and it creates incredibly strong, strong kids that turn into strong adults. And so I remind myself of that all the time that I wish I, my, ch- my children didn't have these bumps that they had to go through. But on the other hand, because it's not my choice, right? I can't choose whether they have to or not. And so that's a moot point. But I know I see the, the strength in them. I see the strength in what they've been through and how they've navigated that because of the journey they were already on with anxiety and OCD and how they handle grief and the loss and all the other things that were thrown at them this past year. And I feel like they were able to navigate that better because of all the resilience that they've built up due to these other struggles. And so none of us want our kids to have this, but it might be a good time to remind yourself that these difficult situations, you know, create strength long-term. may not seem like it in the moment. Trust me, I get it. But long-term we are, we are, we're fostering strength, especially 
when we're parenting in a strength-based perspective, which, you know, we are telling them that they can handle discomfort, that they can handle this, that they, we give them evidence of when they are handling it. We talk about how brave they are and how they should be proud of themselves. And even for the very small things, we don't want to forget to praise them and highlight how proud they should be of themselves for very small steps. I've seen a lot of times parents discount that and only, only highlight the big steps. Or if a child does a small step, they'll say, now if you can do that, you can do this. And there's no pause for celebration. That that pause, that's really important. This is a total side note, but it's a good way to end. My daughter, my 18-year-old, is going to art school soon. I was talking to her at the airport last night. Our bags were taking forever. So we were standing there for like 40 minutes. And my 10-year-old is starting to draw on Procreate. And my 18-year-old draws amazing, like realistic. If you are a friend of mine or follow me on my Facebook, my private profile, sometimes I'll post her artwork and it's just, it looks like a photograph. She's incredibly talented and she uses Procreate mainly on her iPad and she draws it, but she's drawing it digitally. And her sister who's 10 is starting to draw on Procreate too. And it's very realistic for a 10 year old. Like the eyeballs are like they look like a perfect cartoon anime. I mean, it looks really good. And I'm always praising. I'm like, oh my gosh, look to the older sister. You know, look at this. Isn't this amazing? And she always looks like she's annoyed. And I said to her, uh, my 10-year-old wasn't there. And I said, why do you give me that look when I'm trying to like show you her artwork? It's really good for 10. And she said, well, you know, it annoys me because, you know, when I was younger, my artwork wasn't good. And you, it's just like, it's not real because you would say things like that about mine and, and it's horrible. It was horrible. And I said to her, I wasn't praising like a masterpiece, like it was ready for a gallery, but from where you had been to where you had come, it was incredible. Like the skill that you built and the talent that you had been growing was getting bigger and bigger. And I said, what would have happened if you showed me something like that? And I said, hmm. The arm doesn't look that realistic, or those fingers look a little weird. Would you have felt empowered to keep trying and practicing, or would you have felt crushed and moved on? And she's like, you know what, you're right. I would not. That she's super sensitive. And she said, No, I don't think I would have. And I said, And you owe me all of your talent. <laughs> it's all because of me. No. But I was like, my whole point is if you don't get that boost of confidence, you know, from someone outside, it's nice to have it internally, but Sometimes it comes externally first. Just that nudge of like, you're doing amazing. You should feel proud of yourself. That's really cool. You'll grow and you'll continue to grow. It's the same thing for anxiety and OCT. If we don't praise them, and I don't mean praise like, good boy, good girl, or I'm proud of you. You know, sometimes we slip up and we say those things. I don't think it's going to kill your kid, but it is better to put it back on them. It's not even about you, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you should be so proud of yourself. Like, that's amazing. That showed a lot of strength, you know, just a genuine, authentic compliment that you are inspired by how amazing they've been. Even with my daughter who has, you know, she's celiac and this gluten allergy, I feel so bad for her. We were, where were we? Oh, we were in Miami yesterday and we were in Little Havana and they had, okay, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, empanadas. Okay, I tried. And there was, you know, they're not gluten-free and we are eating them and we're like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't normally like empanadas. I don't think I've ever eaten one. So maybe I, maybe I would like them, but this was like, this was just to die for. And, and I felt bad because normally we don't eat in front of her, you know, if she can't eat it, but it's like, we're traveling a lot. And sometimes we want to experience these things. And she was like, you know, sitting there and just managing it. And I said to her, you know, it's incredible the amount of strength you've had being a kid and having to, you know, handle not being able to eat so much of, especially the desserts that we eat and the things and always having to get ice cream or a salad or shrimp or chicken. You know, what little kid likes that? And I said, but you never complain and you, you always handle it. And it just shows so much strength in you. And you should really be proud of yourself because a lot of people wouldn't be able, to, even adults wouldn't be able to handle it in the way that you are. So saying that to her 
helps empower her. It helps her get through those hard times even more because I'm highlighting how she's doing incredibly well. We have to do that for our kids. It starts on the first day of school. (laughs) So if they have a hard time, how we frame that, how we package that, the narrative that they tell themselves, we have a part in that depending on their age. You know, if they have a really rough time going to school and then they come back in the afternoon and they're doing well, you know, there's, there's many ways to approach it. And one way would be, you know, that was a really rough morning, you know, and you shouted at me and you were disrespectful. And I know you were feeling anxious, but still, you can't be treating me like that. Or, you know, that was a really rough morning, but you did it. And you did go to school. And I know that you felt forced, but, you know, you had a great day and you powered through. I didn't hear from anybody. You were able to stay the whole day or stay half the day or stay the first hour. And you should feel really proud that you powered through. Even when we don't feel that, even when we're like, oh my gosh, you only made it to the first period, or you didn't even make it out into the parking lot, highlight the progress. Because when we highlight the success instead of the failure, we're more likely to get more successes because just they're human, just like us. And when someone praises me and says, we really like the way you did that, I tend to do that more often, right? Because it just feels good. So I wish you guys the best in your school escapades and wish me the best too, because I am in the thick of it. So I hope that you're enjoying my podcast. I hope you find some of this information helpful. If you do, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcasts. You have a few minutes to leave a review. I greatly appreciate that. And I have some to read. I'll just read one today as a way of showing my gratitude for you writing that. Jean Bean wrote a godsend. Thank you, Natasha. You're such a beacon of hope for me and my family. It's uncanny sometimes how your podcast topics are just what we need to hear at the moment we need it. We're fortunate that our kids work with a great therapist, but this can be such a lonely journey as a family. So it's amazing to be part of the AT Parenting community and to hear about your own personal experiences with OCD and your family on this podcast. Listening to you really helps affirm the choices we we're making to support our child. It helps us get us on the right track if we're lost and often helps us better understand the reasons we're struggling with something. Thank you so much for taking the time to write that. And I'm, I love that you're part of the AT Parenting community. That's a special community to me. So thank you for that. And if you write a review, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So please don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do and everything your kids do, even when they're very unsparkly. <laughs> and I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 